God restricts himself to our prayers. He isn't willing to intervene unless we are willing to change. He wants us to mourn. He wants us to be warned and not insulated to the problems that are happening in this world. He wants us, through him, to be the solution to what's going on in the world. He wants us to wake up and change. Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians become world-changing disciple-makers. I'm Paul Watson, and this is Rebecca Ewing, and you're listening to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, review this podcast. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash faithworks, patreon.com slash faithworks, or click in the link in the description. To those of you who support this podcast already, thank you so much. Your support helps us put tools in the hands of men and women like you who want to experience a disciple-making movement in their own neighborhoods. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the church is about to do it again. Yep. The election is over. Mm -hmm. If it's the outcome we wanted, we celebrate, we go back to our lives as normals, or at least we try to. And if it isn't what we wanted, we say God is in control to calm ourselves and to go back to our lives as normal. All the prayer, all the fasting, all the concern, Mm -hmm. all the turning toward God, all the repenting, if there was any at all, uh, goes away, Mm -hmm. and we go back to sleep without ever changing anything. But we're here to say that Christians need to wake up. Yes, we do. I mean... It's uh, it's basically if we try to say sorry beforehand, we're like, oh, wait, what? We said something about being sorry? And we go back to our lives yeah, as yeah. normal. But, but the thing is, is that <clears throat> we have got a problem. I mean, we, it's, it's time for the church to finally admit things have gone too far, which is really the wrong question. We shouldn't let things go too far. You know, we, we, when you see the people that are, that are, you know, quite morbidly obese, you think to yourselves, how did they let themselves get that far, you know, without saying, hmm, perhaps I should not, you know, should change a few things. But sometimes that's what humans do. We let things go too far. And now we have serious issues. So, I mean, you know, we've got a problem. When France, (laughs) France stands up and tells us we have rancid and destructive politics. Oh my goodness. Yep. You know, and France is not, you know, the the bastion of conservative principles or anything, you know, out there of, 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 you know, Christian morality, you know, you know, that's, that's not what we see out there, but they're calling us out during this time. Also, we know we've got a problem when we have smoking gun evidence of political leaders dealing in corruption and illegal activity and nothing is done. To bring them to justice. And right now, you might be saying, like, what? You know, you want me to say something just so that you can be angry. Whatever whatever particular party you you hold to, you could say, oh, well. The point is, there's tons of political leaders out there. And no matter what instance I give, you know, it's uh, both parties have a lot of skeletons in the closet. And not to mention a lot of political leaders or people like Jeffrey Epstein, people of power, they are corrupt and nothing is done. 
Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't just affect our, our political leaders either. You know something's wrong when we have ministers claiming that abortion is consistent mm. with the Bible and that they will do everything they can to support it. I will not forget when we read this story this week that there was an actual mm-hmm. minister who was using the same pulpit Martin Luther King Jr. preached at Mm-mm. to sit there and say that abortion was consistent with the teachings of the Bible. And I'm, call- I'm calling him right out. It's Raphael Warnock. Okay, he's running for this a a uh, senator seat in Georgia in January, and I'm telling you, you need to vote for the other party because this guy is bad news. And you know we have a problem when a minister is standing up and saying, "I will do all that I can to support abortion." Mm-hmm. Ugh. So I mean, also we know we have a problem when our children are being taught inside of our public schools how to masturbate. At age seven or younger. Yeah, yeah. I want you to let you that sink in. At age seven, they're actively teaching them how to masturbate. This is one of the newest things. If you read an article on faithworks.media where it talks about cancel sex ed, it's one of the newest things that are being pushed in all of our schools is this next level sex ed that is just completely corrupt and meant to completely corrupt our children. Yeah, I've taken a look at some of it because I have school. I've got kids in public school, and uh, it it does get bad, and it does produce, it does promote and teach things that are not in line with a Christian worldview at all. Yeah, and you know that we have a problem in our country when you can't say a woman is a woman and a man is a man, and that undergoing a sex reassignment surgery as a child is physically dangerous. You know, right, you got a problem. Right. Well, and, and it's gotten even crazier than that. I was just reading a story today that uh, put out by PragerU that Candace Owen did a show not too long ago on YouTube where she actually said women should be women and men should be men, and that was a biological fact, and YouTube took it down for hate speech. Mm. And that just, I mean, she can't even say stuff like that and, wow. without it being taken down as hate speech. We used to call that science, by the way. I know, right? Uh, um, but now it's hate speech. So, and on that note, right, we have a, <laughs> you know that something's wrong when we have a hard time knowing the truth because our media is guided by propaganda and censorship. Yep. They've stopped being facilitators of people doing research and, and promoting it to the world, and they've started to be the, the censors on it to promote what they believe is right and accurate, what's in line with their political leanings and understandings. Yeah, it's getting so bad that we just literally don't know what's true anymore. No. We, we, we have no source of being able to say, I know for certain this is true, what happened, or what people said, or whatever. We just don't have that because everybody just censors. They just clip things to be able to push whatever agenda that they have going on, and that's a big problem. It is. Now, you know, we also have a problem when the, a, a large percentage of the church doesn't believe the basic things that we're supposed to believe to even be Christians. One yeah. of our, one of our uh, a, a article says that an unexpected result, and this is a quote from them, an unexpected result is that people who attend evangelical churches, which by definition believe that the Bible is the word of God and its contents is reliable and true, at least they're supposed to, right, are as likely to reject the existence of absolute moral truth as they are to accept it. Over 46% say moral truth is dictated by the individual. 48 say that there are absolute morals and truths that apply to all people all the time. 
So that means the opposite, 52% <laughs> say that isn't the case. And right, I mean, right. can you imagine that? Well, no. And, and I mean, this is a good report. It was a 2020 report conducted by George Barna, published mm-hmm. by Arizona Christian uh, University out of his department there and everything. I mean, this is a huge worldview study he did. Another thing that he said in that worldview study, that merely half of those who call themselves Christians, 54%, identify God as the basis of truth. Only, so, 54 only 54 of people who call themselves Christians believe that God is the basis of truth. Yeah. So what what else is the basis of truth? As we're saying, they don't believe in truth. So again, we have a problem. Yeah. If if our Christians are thinking this, people who identify as that, but we also know that we have a problem when we can no longer be sure that our elections are secure and not fraudulent and corrupt. And again, yeah, it's something we just don't know. We see evidences of this around and, you know, and some of them are quite obvious. I mean, if you are actually looking at the data and everything, there's really a lot of questions here. And if we cannot fairly elect uh, our leaders, what are we doing? We lose our nation at this particular point and it'll just descend into whoever's the most corrupt and has the most money and power at the time. And this matters, guys. Elections matter. Who is in power matters. But the problem is, is that many spiritual leaders have been trying to, I guess, assuage the fears and bad feelings of America by saying God is in control and God is the one who sets up our leaders, which technically is true, but how they're using it is a problem. Yeah, these these phrases and messaging like this just encourage people to remain quiet and unbothered by mm-hmm. current events, right. to keep going on as normal and to rock the boat as little as possible. I mean, that's that's one of them. They sound great on the front, but when you look at the activity, mm-hmm. they're used to say, oh, it's all good, guys. It's going to mm-hmm. be okay. God is in control. You just need to have faith that he does. And it's not a call to action to change anything. Yes. And that that's really when it comes down to it. The, you know, we it is true that God is in control. And it is true that God does set up our leaders. But it's not in the way that they're trying to use it, that it doesn't matter what we do. God is just mm-hmm. going to automatically make everything turn out okay. And we have no responsibility in how all this plays out. So right. let's look into this theological, how this is, is turned theologically in the wrong direction by saying, what is the actual right direction with this whole setting up our rulers and God being in control and things like that? So let's take a look at the theological side of all of this. What does the Bible say about rulers and, and authorities and, and those kind of things? And how he's sovereign throughout all these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so first of all, we need to realize that God wants righteous rulers in power. Yep. It says in uh, Psalm thirty-three, twelve, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord; the people he has, he has chosen as his own inheritance." Proverbs twenty-nine, two says, "When the righteous increase, the people rejoice; but when a wicked man rules, people groan." Psalm one twenty-five, three says, "For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, so that the righteous will not put forth their hands to do wrong." Mm-hmm. Isaiah ten one. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions. 
And, and also not to mention Romans 13, where it talks about the role of rulers is, is that they are the that they are the ambassadors of God to enact justice and to punish evil doers. Like that's what they're mm-hmm. supposed to do. So if they're the evil doers, they're not actually, you know, fulfilling what their role is supposed to be. And then there's first Timothy two that talks about, you know, I exhort first of all, that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be being for all men, for Kings and for all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For yeah. this is a good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come knowledge of the truth. So when we say, when we pray, hey, you know, let's pray for God's will to happen in this particular, you know, election. His will, what he wants is for righteous people to be enrolled. It shouldn't be this big question mark. But then we ask ourselves, if that's the case, why do we see bad men in power? Well, I think I think one of the things we could look at there is that God, seemingly in his sovereignty and his choice, allows us to have a choice and often suffer the consequences of our choices and actions. I think we see this very clearly in Israel choosing of their first king. In uh, in Sam in Samuel eight, it sits there and says, First Samuel eight, it says, and it, you know, they're basically. I'll summarize it for you because we can read the whole chapter. But here's yeah. what we're going to say: yeah, just, is just that basically <laughs> what happens is that Samuel's two two sons are corrupt. And, mm-hmm. and the, the people are worried that Samuel's going to die and they're going to be serving under these corrupt sons. And so they come to Samuel and their solution is not, let's find different sons, let's find, pray and ask God to give us a different judge or whatever. They say, we want a king. Like the nations, we want a king. And, uh, and sits there and goes, uh, it says right here in, in chapter, in verse six, it goes, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Okay, so God is seeing this as a rejection. He doesn't want it to happen, but he is willing to go on and to make it happen if they insist upon it. And in fact, Samuel tries to warn them and to dissuade them Mm -hmm. from their choice. He says, look, this king, he's going to come and he's going to enslave your kids. He's going to make them serve him and what he wants. He's going to take your money and your lands. You're going to be taxed. Yeah, you're going to be taxed in in essence. You know, and the implication is more than really what is due and mm-hmm. and things like that. And so, you know, he's like, you don't want to do this. But they they did not. They're like, oh, no, yeah. we want a king. We want a yeah. king. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, we will have a king over us that we may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. It says 21, and Samuel heard the words of the people and he rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. We have very clearly in this passage, God doesn't want it. He sees Mm -hmm. it as rejection, but they're begging him for it. They're saying they're wanted. They're insisting on it. And he goes, all right, I've warned them. Give them a king. Exactly. So ask yourself, was God's will done? And did God set up this ruler? Well, okay. So yes, God set up this ruler, 
but it wasn't his first choice. It wasn't Mm -hmm. what he preferred in this happening. We have to realize that what we do matters when we, especially when we're dealing with big trouble, when we're dealing with things inside of our nation, you know, Paul and I just recently finished reading the book of Esther and it's an incredible book. By the way, you should read it. Everyone right now, just go and read Esther. Right. Um, A- after the podcast. Yes, after, after the, podcast. the podcast. You know, finish, re- finish listening to this. But no. <laughs> but um, inside the book of Esther, you guys know that, that Haman is, is so angry at the fact that Mordecai won't bow the knee to him that he wants to kill all the Jews. And he actually gets you know, bamboozles the king into basically allowing him to make the, the solid law of the Medes of the Persians that cannot be changed to go out there and murder all these, these Jews. And then on top of it, you know, here's Haman building a gallows to hang Mordecai on it as, as specifically as well. And Mordecai hears news of this and he is just renting his clothes and and sad and Esther hears about Mordecai being like this and she's like what is going on you know get pull yourself together man and he cut and he tells her he comes back and tells her what's going on and he's like you need to go and say something to the king in our behalf and she's like well listen I can't just go waltz in there and do that I could get killed you know, if no, if 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 I try that and he doesn't accept me, I'll be killed. Yeah, and Esther has a really neat, a neat thing to say. Uh, starting in uh, this, we're talking about Esther chapter four, and we're talking about starting in uh, in. Let's see, here it is in verse fourteen. It says, "For this is Mordecai talking." He says, or actually, starting verse thirteen. Then Mordecai commanded Esther, Esther, think not that with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come unto the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, we all hear that for, and we love the for such a time as this. But I, but what, what happens right there in verse 14, it sits there and says, if you hold your peace... You're not going to be delivered. We'll figure it out with the Jews, but you're not going to be delivered and, uh, and everything. So our choices, our decisions affect us, not just us as individuals, but the whole people groups as well. And the thing is, is that this story goes on and Esther's reply to him is that, okay, I want you to declare a fast over all the mm-hmm. land and I will go in and I will talk to him. If I perish, I perish. So what we see here is that there are two things that are happening. One is, is that they declare a several day morning and fast and praying. And then additionally, they're taking action. They're taking, uh, Esther is taking courageous action to be able to, to stop this. And eventually the, the answer is a fact, because it's the, the, well, all the means of the Persians, he can't just say, no, they can't be attacked. But what he does is says that the Jews can stand up and defend themselves. And this turns the tide so much of everybody's opinion for the Jews that they are now in this incredible place of strength to be able to defeat the, the enemies that were existing and have more people standing up and supporting them and wanting to be like them. Yeah, we actually, in, in this passage, it says people became Jews. Mm-hmm. They, Because of what all happened, they chose to change their culture. They chose to change and, and worship the God of the Bible 
and uh, and actually become Jews. So we see in this passage we have to pray significantly and stand up and act in order to be able to see this great deliverance that God has for us. You know, because ultimately we are responsible for our choices and actions. And also we are responsible for warning others about the fact that they're responsible for their their choices and actions. In Ezekiel 33, it talks about how that we're supposed to be, uh, that, that in this, that we're supposed to be warning people. He says that, that we are a watchman upon the land. He said, mm-hmm. and if we see the sword come upon the land and... Uh, you know, we blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and takes not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that takes warning shall deliver his soul. And but if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So simply put, guys, he's saying that, look, you're there to warn people and say danger is coming. You need to change. You need to turn from your ways. And if they decide not to and judgment comes upon them, well, that's on them. But guess what? If, if this danger is coming and people are doing these bad things and you don't say anything, if you don't try to stop them, if you don't try to plead with them to be able to turn, then their blood is going to be on your heads. And this is something we really need to think about nowadays. It's going to be more than just an occasional Facebook post, guys. We need right. to actually you know, be a part of developing relationship with unbelievers and be a part of the solution so that we can be able to warn others against this impending danger. Well, I like what you said, being part of a solution there, because it reminds me of Revelation 2, when uh, the angel is speaking to the church of, or when when Jesus is speaking to the church of Ephesus. He says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And thou hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake that has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So the whole point of that chapter and those first couple chapters in Revelation is that there's these different churches that God's coming to and say, look, you've been a candlestick. You've been a light to the world. I've been working through you in order to bring me to the nations and to be light to the nations. But however, you have sin that if you Mm -hmm. do not repent of it, I will take that away from you. I will not work through you. I will not give you my power. I will not, you know, my presence will be gone. And, the, and I think that a lot of us can see that nowadays is that we call ourselves the church of Laodicea as if there's no way to change or be different. But the reality is we do. We have a choice. We can be different. And if we don't, we will completely lose our power in standing 
to be able to reach the lost world around us. Well, I like how he called them into an action, the action of repentance, and he called them into the action of returning to their first works. And so it's not just to sit there and, and sit and soak, but to actually make a difference. And, and here, here's the bottom line, people. It's clear in 2020 that God doesn't want us to put our fingers in our ears and return to life as normal. He wants us to be upset. He wants us to mourn. He wants us to pray. He wants us to repent and to do something about the problems around us. We need to stop preaching false peace and giving people assurance that Mm everything is going to be okay when God wants us to repent. Exactly, exactly. This reminds me a lot of the story in the Old Testament, you know, right before that Israel was supposed to be taken into captivity. And there was a huge problem. Jeremiah and Isaiah and various people like that, they were trying to say, look, judgment is coming. You need to repent, you know, because God's going to bring judgment anyway, but at least maybe you could be saved alive and be able to do this. You know, it's been a little too late to be able to do that. Now, I'm not saying that is how we are right now. I'm not saying it's too late, but that was their message is saying, look, judgment is coming. However, a lot of the spiritual leader, other spiritual leaders at the time were trying to say, oh, no, yeah. no, no, peace, peace. You know, God's going to come and save us all and everything's going to be okay. Right. That reminds me of the story of Jeremiah and Hananiah in Jeremiah chapter 28. I mean, basically the situation is this, is that you had a whole group of prophets. I mean, you have Jeremiah who's saying, hey, the Babylonians are coming. This is not good. You are going to go into captivity. And you had the prophet Hananiah coming along going, no, 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 no. There might be a little bit of stuff, but it's going to be okay. And then there'll be peace. It will be fine. And we'll, we'll succeed. And it won't be as bad. Well, then God ends up speaking against Hananiah and ends up judging him and condemning him and throwing him out. And actually, he ends up dying that year. Yeah. Yeah, he died. <laughs> he ends up he ends up dying. <laughs> uh, I think that not much judgment. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, exactly. So so here again, you know, it's like God's trying to send the message of, hey, wake up. This is not good, where all the things are, no, no, let's just keep things the way they are, because we're in power and we get our support from you guys, and we're just gonna keep on making you feel good because that's what helps us right now. And, and the thing is, is be as a part, again, of all this type of drama we see in Isaiah 1, where Isaiah is, is trying to speak for God in this and saying like, look, I am sick and tired of your, your new moons and your feasts and your festivals and everything like that. And this whole chapter, it t- he's talking about how he's sick of the, of the sacrifices, you know, the things that he set up and told them to do in order to worship him. But why is he saying he's fed up? He's saying he's fed up because he's saying, look, you, you are coming into my house and worshiping me, but then going out there in life and there's all this murder and violence and corruption and people being oppressed and problems out there. And that, and I've been trying to tell you to turn and to act, follow my commands and you won't do it. And so now don't even bother with these, these things because I'm just tired of them. And so that makes me think we're about ready to go into this Christmas season and we're all so insistent in wanting to get back into our churches so that we can sing and raise our hands and pray and sing praises to Jesus. We're so desperate to do that, but we're not desperate 
to fix the things inside of our communities, our country, and, and the lives of the people around us that are, that are bringing us down and bringing us under the judgment of God. And so he's not going to be happy with our singing as long as there's so much sinning going on in our lives and the lives of the people around us. And he really doesn't like it when we sit there as leaders and we say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 14 through through 16, that's what he says. He says, he says they have healed also the hurt of, my, of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And I mean, he speaks strongly about this, that if we, if we look at him and tell him that there's peace when there is none, there is judgment upon us and it is not good. Right. You know, and, it, and in the previous, that the next verses, he talks about, you're not ashamed of the things that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole point. And so, you know, a lot of people think that it's somehow dishonoring to God to be sad or to be upset by the things that are going on. But that's exactly what God wants. God wants us to be upset and disturbed enough wanting to be able to change and to do things that are differently. You know, you and I get to talk to a lot of Christians who work all over the place. And there was, there's been a time just in the last few weeks where you had a Christian look at you and basically repent for being sad. They said, <laughs> I'm sad and because they felt like they should have the joy of the Lord in their heart, but they were sad with what was going on. And we had to look at them and say, no, 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 no. It's actually perhaps of God that you are sad right now over the circumstances and situations that you're facing in life because that's what he wants. It's not a time for joy. It's a time for weeping. We have to realize that there are, that it's okay for us to be upset about the things that God is upset about. That's I right. mean, do you realize that God is upset about things? That he wept over Jerusalem? That he even mm. wept over the death of his friend Lazarus, even when he knew that he was going to raise him for the dead, like in just a moment? I mean, yeah, he, you exactly. know, do you realize he is angry with the wicked every day that he hates what's hurting us so bad? And so he, and he tells us there are, there are times in which he is trying to get our attention and it's very important for us to be able to realize those times so that we can react appropriately. In Ecclesiastes, two different times, it talks about how it's appropriate at times to cry and to mourn. In that Mm -hmm. long list of there's a time for every season, there's this one part where it says a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so the idea is that there are Sadly, there's a time that we should weep and mourn. And in fact, in Ecclesiastes 7, it talks about it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. And it talks right. about the rebuke of the wise is better than the song of fools. So yeah, we can sit there and play our music and tell us, put our fingers in our ears and tell us, everything's going to be all right. You know, we could do that, but it's not going to be true. Because God is trying to wake us up and to get us on our faces and to to question where have we gone wrong and what do we need to do to be all right. We're in 2020. It's starting to become a a, a, a ongoing meme that everything is go goes wrong in 2020. And do we think right. that that is that that is a mistake? I mean, I I find it just shocking the lack of spiritual discernment that people have when they look at this and just be like, can't you see that God is trying to wake us up? That he's trying to get us to realize 
No, he doesn't want us to go back to life as normal. No, he doesn't want us to merely to be happy and peaceful and calm. He wants us to not just keep calm and carry on. He wants us to wake up and change. Yeah, we need to pray. God isn't willing. I mean, you guys know this. God restricts himself to our prayers. He isn't willing to intervene unless we are willing to change. He wants us to mourn. He wants us to be warned and not insulated to the problems that are happening in this world. He wants us, through him, to be the solution to what's going on in the world. He doesn't want us to merely keep calm and carry on, like you were saying. He doesn't want us to keep calm and carry on. He wants us to wake up and change. You've been listening to the CDM Podcast. I'm Paul Watson. This is Rebecca Ewing. Like, share, five-star rate, review this podcast. We'll be back with our premium content right after the break. We're going to be talking about where have we gone wrong and what do we need to change. You can listen to our full premium content by becoming a $5 a month supporter on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash faithworks. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash faithworks. Or click on the link in the description. Thanks for listening to the CDM Podcast. To hear part two, become a supporter on our Patreon page. You can find the link in the description. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com.